Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay LaValley. Welcome to Rush Hour, the congestion of human trafficking in America. In this podcast, we will address the problem that is human trafficking, not only to spread awareness, but to share information that will help keep you and your community safe. Rush Hour is brought to you by The Wolf Group, powered by eTactics. Today, we're joined by Jason Mayo and Truman Corelli from Operation Rose. They're out of Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, We'll jump right in, if you don't mind. Could you give us a quick history of the work you've been doing in the anti-trafficking field? And just to dovetail on that question, how did you get involved in working in the anti-trafficking movement? I started with... uh... I was with the uh, Metro Nashville Police Department, and that's how I became involved with it. I had been on the department for about 16 years, and then in 2016, I transferred to the vice unit and started working uh, prostitution and human uh, trafficking-related crimes. And that's how I initially became involved with the um, human trafficking field. And then uh, in that position, I was able to work like in a somewhat undercover position and actually go out and do the work in the field and try to reach out and find the the victims. That's amazing. Thank you for that work, Jason. I know my husband's a police officer and it can very often be a, a thankless job. So thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you for that's probably understatement of the century. Right. But thank you for that work that you did. That's amazing. And I, I stayed in that unit till I retired in uh, 2021. So about um, five or six years, I worked in that unit. Mm-hmm. And I did a total of 21 years on the department. So wow. You start when um, you were four, you look pretty young to be <laughs> <laughs> retired. It must be the screen because trust me, I don't look like that in person. So That's great. How about you, Truman? So I, my background is actually in counterterrorism and counterintelligence, not necessarily domestic human trafficking, more international human trafficking as it relates to terrorism. But I became more involved in, um, you know, the domestic human trafficking when I became involved with Operation Rose and about, I guess, mid-2021. Operation Rose was founded in January of 2021. Um, and so I just love their work, became involved with them, and they're just an awesome organization. And um, we're just doing a lot of work here in Nashville. Predominantly what we're doing is training uh, hotels and motels and schools. So what we identified, what Jason actually identified when he was on the police force is that there were not enough people trained and knowledgeable about human trafficking. So, you know, where is human trafficking happening? It's happening in these hotels and motels. You know, these hoteliers, they're just not aware or they don't know how to spot it. So what we do is we go directly to the hotels and motels. We do an in-person live training, um, about a two-hour demo, and we do actually department-specific training as well. So do it for, you know, housekeeping, front desk staff, so that they're all kind of trained on the signs and indicators in their department. Um, And we also train schools to kind of help kids prevent grooming and them from getting groomed. So we think that's a very important thing as well. Yeah, so it's kind of been a busy last couple of years, I guess. We've trained a bunch of private schools. We're trying to get into the public schools right now um, and trained a ton of hotels and motels. 
Yeah, no, it's amazing work that you guys are doing. And that's how we connected was because of our hotel training that we created with the Wolf Group on an e-learning platform. But definitely, we know the best training is is in-person training and then just utilizing e-learning as a refresher course or to train those folks that maybe can't be in person. So that's, that's amazing work that you're doing. I love that you're working in schools. I think that's a huge a huge part of if we want to start turning the tide on this $150 billion industry is that we really have to start allowing children to know what this is, right? Yeah, they can recognize it. It's not just it. children, it's parents too. It's, yeah. it's I, you know, I call it the triangle, right? It's children, parents, and then teachers. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we have that approach going into it. We talk to the schools and we say, you know, we'll do a, a teacher training, which in Tennessee now all teachers are required to be trained on human trafficking. I think it's every two years they're required to be trained. Everybody in the school from janitors, bus drivers, teachers, everybody has to be trained. So we train them. We try to do the parents and then the kids as well if we're able, because it's really a threefold approach. Everybody has to be knowledgeable about this. It can't just be one of the, it can't just be one of the three. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% right. And I think if you only educated teachers and students, then parents wouldn't necessarily even understand it if their kid came home and said, this is happening to me or, you know, they would maybe not be able to connect the dots. I think Absolutely. the other issue is making sure that we train folks on what to do if they encounter these situations. Um, so I think that's that's excellent that you guys are able to go in and empower the hoteliers to feel like if I see this, that here's what I need to do if I see this and also empower those those children and parents and, and teachers. So thank you for that work. What are some changes you think need to be made for hoteliers training to better combat human trafficking? Well, first of all, we need to get laws on the books in Tennessee where um, hotels are required by law to receive the live and in-person training. You know, there's only, I think, just seven or eight states uh, right now that, that require that training by law for any um, lodging facility. So, first of all, we need to get that law on the books in Tennessee and uh, kind of hold their feet to the fire, so to speak, because a lot of hotels are willing and want the training and want to be proactive. But on the same side, a lot of them don't want mm -hmm. to fool with it because you know, they're a smaller budget hotel or, or, you know, there's a lot of hotels and motels that benefit from it. Uh, we need to hold their feet to the fire and create the laws here in Tennessee, like some of the other states have, and um, force them to receive the training. If they turn a blind eye or are a part of the uh, trafficking, then we need to hold them responsible as well. When I was on the police department, you know, we would do padlock orders on hotel establishments where if we could go in and prove that the hotel or motel was a public nuisance, then a criminal court judge would padlock the establishment and we could go in and seize everything and shut them down. We, we kind of put the hotels on notice that, you know, look, this is something that could happen to you if you aren't proactive in your efforts to keep these crimes out of your facilities. So we do kind of warn the we don't scare them with it or anything like no, but that. It's, it's the but, reality. Right. But we just kind of tell them, look, this is what can happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, it has happened. And, you know, we have examples of a couple of hotels that, that one of them was literally bulldozed. It was in a kind of rougher area of the city and the, the establishment was padlocked and eventually bulldozed. That's that's one of the first things we need to do is, you know, you create the laws. And the second thing is 
we need to create some type of partnerships um, where we have generalized meetings with them and, you know, keep them up to date and keep them, you know, on what's going on in the field as well so that they understand the same thing that we do because they're not thinking about human trafficking every day like we are. You know, they're thinking about running a business. So we need to have some forums and things like that to where we can update the hotels on a regular basis. Absolutely. If I could speak on that too, Jason, um, I totally agree with you. I think that it's, you know, I have two points to the changes that needs to be that need to be made. Like you said, Jason, I think it needs to be consistent. I think that we need to be providing training or updates to them pretty consistently, right? Things change in human trafficking and crime and everything. I think the training has to be consistent. So every year or two years, and I think it needs to be up to date. And I also think it needs to be department specific. I really think that each department is going to encounter different things. So, you know, you teach front desk staff something, and that doesn't mean that housekeeping staff is going to see the same thing. So I think those are some some pretty big changes that need to be made. And I also think that there's this level almost of unconscious bias sort of with hoteliers and people that encounter human trafficking victims. And I think that we kind of need to change the narrative on that, right? So what does a human trafficking victim look like? Sometimes they can be criminals. Sometimes they can be impoverished. They can be foreign nationals from marginalized communities, right? So hoteliers can sometimes look at these people, maybe turn a blind eye or turn their nose down to them. But what we have to realize is the narrative needs to be changed and these people are victims at the end of the day. Um, so I, th- I think that's another change that everybody can kind of make that change in their head. For sure. I think you made two really great points that stuck out to me. And one was the training that's specific to the role within the hotel. And I think that's huge. And it wasn't something I had necessarily considered until we created our, our e-learning training. And, and we did. We broke it down. Well, this is what front desk encounters. This yep. is what um, housekeeping would encounter or even food service, right? So the other great point that I think you made was changing the narrative as to what a trafficking victim or survivor might look like. I think that, you know, the first trafficking survivor I met played division one soccer. You know, she didn't look at all like what the stereotypical trafficking victim might look like. It might be someone that is from another country, or it might be impoverished person. But I think that's an excellent point. When I was on the department, what I would do, my role is I would get on the internet and find the ads on the internet. And that looked like, you know, this could be a trafficking victim. And as a detective, you learn how to read the ad and how to look at the ad to tell if it's, uh, this could be a trafficking situation. You know, I would go out and be the undercover guy and go into the room and try to rescue her or arrest her. Sometimes, you know, arrest is what you have to do. Um, And some people think it is cruel, but at least you're forcing them into the system to where they can try to take advantage of the services and the things that are available to them through the system. And if they won't, you know, do it on their own, hopefully that they will that way as well. And I've read, <laughs> I encountered women all the way from the age of 15 all the way up into the mid 60s. So uh, of uh, age range, and there is no socioeconomical cookie cutter, you know, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, everybody. In your opinion, what professionals need to be trained on human trafficking awareness? Well, first of all, um, we need to do a better job of training law enforcement, and we need to do a better job of 
breaking the stereotype that, you know, prostitutes are doing it to make money. You know, when I came on the police department, when, when I started working on police department in the early January of 2000, prostitutes were looked at a lot different than they are now. So we have gotten better, but we need to keep uh, changing that narrative with law enforcement, obviously. Number two is we need to keep empowering the lodging facilities to take part in training workshops that you know are available to them there's not just us out there there's plenty of other nonprofits that are out there doing the teaching although i'd love to teach every facility here in tennessee that would be awesome we need to keep empowering them and, and keep encouraging them and doing it on a positive level you know look you could potentially save someone's life look you're protecting your business you know just put it to them like that and try to keep them involved and then obviously we need to be in the schools a lot more teenagers are the highest demographic that gets started into trafficking is 15 to 17 years of age mm -hmm. so we need to really be in these schools you know teaching what human trafficking really is and and how how unfortunate it can be to get started down that path yeah for sure and and i i think a couple really good points but if you encounter a, a quote-unquote prostitute there's a better chance that they are a well, trafficking victim than they just yeah. wanted that life right something i started doing in our workshops and the more and more we do i think the better we, we as a team get at putting on our presentation but one of the things that I started doing is at the very beginning of, of our workshop, I asked the whole audience, you know, close your eyes and think back to when you were six or seven years old. And what did you want to be when you grew up? And, you know, hold on to that thought for just a minute. And then I would go back and do some more teaching. Then I would come back and say, okay, everybody remember, you know, what you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were six or seven years old, you know, how many wanted to be an astronaut or, or, you know, police officer or a teacher. Or, and then I say, okay, well, how many of you wanted to grow up and have sex with dirty old men for a living? Right. And obviously nobody raises their hand. And I'm like, so that kind of puts it in perspective because no person wants to grow up and do that. It's some type of force in just about every situation. Yeah. And I think the other side of that is a lot of times when these people end up in these situations, they've been so brainwashed, right? And oh, yeah. and so groomed and threatened and, and all of the different things that they don't even recognize that what they're doing, you know, is what it is, right? They don't recognize that what they're doing is isn't because right. of them or isn't you know just normal so and some are just so hopelessly addicted to narcotics well i right. mean the biggest thing is heroin and methamphetamine and mm -hmm. those are two of the worst drugs to try to recover from mm -hmm. and you know the it's just it's a terrible they're a slave to the narcotic and and it's just absolutely it's just a sometimes it's just a hopeless situation for some of these people if they don't get put in a position where they're either forced to get help or they take the help. Yeah. And I mean, I think that often that's by design, right? These, oh, yeah. you know, get these individuals addicted to these drugs that, because of that oh, exact yeah. reason, there's so much more control. The other yeah. thing I thought I've, you know, Bill and I've had these conversations a lot, but you know, just the fact that a lot of these victims end up in other criminal activity, you know, because they have a trap that they have to meet or whatever. And, you know, so they do credit card fraud or sell drugs or rob or, you know, whatever to hit this trap, because obviously that's a way 
easier um, on their bodies and their psyche. So I think that's an interesting thing as well, that a lot of these individuals end up in other criminal activity because of being trafficked. So mm -hmm. just being able to recognize all of those things, I think, is critical. Yeah, absolutely. What can some of these professions do if they encounter what they believe is a trafficking situation? I, I'll just start off with Jason probably better to answer as he was a cop, but you know, as far as human trafficking goes, it is something that we have to be proactive about rather than reactive, right? So that's how we're going to stop this. It's about being trained, um, you know, being proactive with if you see something, say something. Um, so I would pose everybody that wants to put it into this problem, we have to be proactive rather than reactive. That, that's just the bottom line. And Jason can touch on this more, but, you know, I would say if it's in Tennessee, what we do is tell people to call the TBI. We tell them to call the TBI hotline. Um, there's also the National Human Trafficking Hotline and the local police they can reach out to and even um, a non profit too. Like I know a lot of people, oh, I don't want to bother the police or this is not an emergency or whatever. Jason, his cell phone is what, you know, our, our hotline rings to. So he's tell, he tells people all the time, call me, call the hotline, it'll ring to my cell phone and I'll tell you if it's a situation or not. And you can call the police. There are people out there to help, whether that's law enforcement at the federal, state or local level, or even nonprofits, there are people willing to help. I think that's a great point, Truman, because these victim advocate groups are uh, such an you know, imperative part of this whole ecosystem of how to recover someone from a trafficking situation. I was at a law enforcement training um, a couple months ago and they invited law enforcement officers and also victim advocate groups and they had all the victim advocate groups stand up and they said, before you leave this two day training, you need to intimately know these people that are in this room because you know, you can't, great, as a police officer, Jason, if you didn't have victim advocate groups alongside you, what do you even do with that person, right? Because they need healthcare, they need dental care, they need housing, they need food, they need, you know, all of these services that a police officer just isn't equipped to provide. And, and our system isn't set up for that. So just having, I think that's a great point, Truman, that you mentioned nonprofits or victim advocate groups in your back pocket at all times. But I think the hotels are the same, you know, anyone you're training, schools, whomever it is that you're training, I think that bringing those nonprofits in and those victim advocate groups in so that they recognize them, they they know that they can call them, they, you know, the victim advocate groups knows why, why they're getting this phone call or whatever. I yeah. think just forming those relationships is imperative, um, like you said, just to ever turning the tide on this stuff. It is. And I and I think to touch on that again, you know, these victims oftentimes they don't want to involve police, right? Mm. They, you know, they might be involved in other criminal activity like we just mm. spoke about. They don't want to involve police. They don't want to go back in the system or whatever. But sometimes just calling a nonprofit for them. Maybe maybe they would be more receptive to calling a victim services based nonprofit and getting help or food or rehabilitation than they would be to calling police. So I absolutely just like you said, encourage everybody to have a nonprofit in their back pocket. And if they live in Nashville, you know, there are so many, there are absolutely so many in Nashville. And I, and I hope it's the same with other metropolitan cities, but Nashville does a great job with that. That's awesome. And I, I think that's, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Again, part of the grooming isn't just to get them to do these acts. Part of the grooming is to get them to turn away from family, to get them hooked on drugs, but also to get them fearful of the police. So they're told <laughs> from day one, the police are going to arrest you. They're going to arrest you because you were stealing yesterday. They're going to arrest you because you're selling drugs. You have drugs on you whatever. Um, that was part of the law enforcement training I was in, you know, but you have to kind of turn the blind eye to that to help this victim 
you're exactly right, Truman. It's they've they've been classically conditioned to hate the police, to fear the police, to think they're the enemy. You know, one of the things I would tell the girls when I encountered them or when we'd arrest them, you know, you know, I would tell them, look, I'm not the drug police. I don't care about drugs. I don't work drugs. I'm here to find out, you know, if you need help and if you need help, tell me and, you know, I'll call somebody and they'll be here in 15 minutes to help yeah. you out. Cause I kept the phone numbers to a couple of nonprofits that would come out in a heartbeat and rescue the female mm-hmm. or, or male. If you sit down and look at them and on their level and empathize with them and show them that you actually care and you're not just trying to, you know, lock them up and try to break down that barrier. It's a great thing. One of the biggest problems that is we got to get all the the nonprofits and things like that with law enforcement. Everybody's got to get on the same page. It's not a competition. Unfortunately, there's enough victims out there where we could do this. 24 hours a day, seven days a week and not even make a dent in it. You know, we got to all get on the same page and law enforcement, you know, I was in law enforcement, so I know what it's like to have to work with nonprofits and now I'm on the other side. Mm -hmm. So I kind of know both sides of the coin now and we've got to get on the same page. You know, there, there, unfortunately there is more than enough going around that we can all um, figure out how to work together and, and combat it. So thank you for saying that. I 100% agree. If someone is listening to this podcast and it resonates with them, maybe it's a laboring labor trafficking situation because as we know, everyone isn't sex trafficked, but if they're listening and they're like, holy crap, this is me, what's some some words of advice that you would give to them? Number one, they do have the power to reach out and get help, um, whether it's, you know, accidentally calling 911 from the, the hotel room or slipping a note to the, you know, the maid or whoever, or just flat out calling police for help. There are police officers out there that, that will listen to them and that they will help them. Right. Uh, not all police are jerks. Some are, <laughs> but, uh, Number one, you know, they do have the power to reach out for help, but they've got to be willing to accept the help. You know, we'll work as a team and and get them the help that they need. And whether it's, you know, housing, you know, prosecution of their traffickers, or if they just want to go home, you know, mm-hmm. and get back with their family, mm-hmm. there are ways that we can do that. There are people that care. There are people that will listen to them and uh, there are people that will treat them with respect. And you know, just kind of touching on that, there are so many people that will help too. Like, I mean, like you said, Jason, but in every avenue of of every problem you could imagine as a human trafficking victim, whether that's you know prosecuting your trafficker, um, you know, if you need rehab, if you're addicted to narcotics, if you're being charged criminally and you need you know assistance, if you need housing, if you need food. Every single one of those things that I mentioned, there is a nonprofit that will help you with that. There is a nonprofit that offers free legal services to human trafficking victims. You know what I mean? Free rehabilitation, um, you know, grooming products, housing. I mean, they're just there's so much help that's available. And like he said, you just have to accept it. So do you guys have a website or social media that you would like to reference? 
Absolutely. Yeah, you can check us out at operationrose.org and across all platforms, it's at Operation Rose. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I think we even have a TikTok, although we don't have videos yet. Um, we're trying to be on all platforms, but yeah, operationrose.org. You can sign up for a uh, human trafficking workshop there. You can contact us for more info um, and you can just kind of see what we've been up to for the past two years. Yeah, no, that's great. And one of my goals for this podcast is to educate what I like to call Main Street. So what are just some words of wisdom for those folks that you might leave with them? Well, if, if you're an adult and, and you have minor children in your life, you, you've got to be real with them. Obviously age appropriate, but you got to have those talks and open talks with your kids. You got to be a steward to them to show them the path, the right path to take for number one. And then you just got to have those hard conversations. A lot of parents shy away from it. You know, it's kind of like the dad having to talk to the son about sex, you know, as God, you know, the dad just dreads it, you know, yeah. oh God, I don't want to do this, you know, but it, it, people look at this kind of stuff, the way they do that is like, oh, I don't want to talk about that to my kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but you, you gotta, have, I mean, it's just, the the world we live in today you know the digital age that we're in and mm -hmm. where you know you can find anybody you want on facebook or instagram and TikTok and everything else you gotta have the conversations with your kids about what is safe and what is not safe 100%. and and you gotta keep a proactive watch over them you know know their passwords number one i tell parents all the time that if their kid has a cell phone you better know the password to it and that way you can get in there and see what's going on and then it's not invading their privacy it's keeping them safe you have to give a crap about your fellow human beings on this mm -hmm. earth if you care about your fellow you know man and woman you gotta help them out i mean you, you got to look for people in need and then be that person that could make that phone call. Most places, you don't even have to give your name. You right. can be anonymous, but you, you just you can't turn a blind eye anymore. We're past that age in our history where that just doesn't fly anymore. I absolutely agree. It's I think it's an uncomfortable conversation for sure, um, but it's one that has to be had. You know, it. the thing is, it's real. It's happening and it is in your community. I don't care where you are, it is happening. Uh, you know, maybe not in, in your city, but in the city next to you, you know what I mean? Or the county next to you, it is going on, it is real. Um, and I try to level with, you know, younger kids. I mean, I'm not in high school anymore, but I'm younger, um, you know? So I try to level with them like, this is real, this is happening. My, you know, I have a sister, She's she just turned 18. And she constantly tells me about the messages that she gets on across mm -hmm. social media platforms. I'm like, do you know this person? No, I don't know. It's just some random guy. She told me, you know, a friend of hers got offered um, by some random person on Snapchat just to send them photos and they would pay her. Um, I mean, it is, it is happening and I'm from a super, super small town. And so if it's happening there, it is happening mm -hmm. everywhere. I encourage kids to be vigilant about it, just as vigilant as parents, because it doesn't happen to you. It could happen to a friend of yours or a classmate of yours, right? So at least you know the signs, like maybe it's not happening to me, but my friend said something super weird the other day. Maybe I'm going to tell my mom about that. So everybody has to be educated and vigilant and everybody has to give a shit about it. You know what I mean? We, we really do. Yeah, so I agree. 
I agree. You couldn't have said it better, Truman. And I had a lot of those conversations too with friends. And it's like, you're just, you're floored at the things that, that people are saying. And, but again, if you're a poor college kid and somebody says that something like that, and you're like, Oh, all I got to do is this. And you don't even think about it. Right. And then you send these pictures and suddenly you're involved in this, right? And you're, you could be hooked in this, Truman. I think you getting involved in this, you know, you are young and getting involved in this at your age is so vital to this because you're going to be able to speak at a different level um, than I'm 40. I don't understand TikTok and all this stuff, right? That I'm like, how did I get so old? But it's like, I don't, I don't know how all this stuff is working, but you do. And so, you know, just being able to speak to that level, I think is is just such a gift that you're able to and you're willing to well any other thoughts guys i think no we're just happy that that we were invited to, to yeah. speak with you today because it's definitely been a passion of mine for many many years and even when i retired from the police department i knew i wanted to continue doing something in this field and that's why bobby and i started this I just, you know, if you if you're if you have a thought or an inkling or a passion to get involved with um, with a with a nonprofit in your area, just Google. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you Google Nashville human trafficking nonprofits, you'll see a bunch pop up. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I would also tell people, you know, hey, do a little homework before you start reaching out to some of these nonprofits because some aren't really out there doing the good that they may say they're doing. So, you know, do a little homework, do a little research. And then, then if you want to become involved, be, get involved. You know, I don't think there's any nonprofit out there that would turn away a volunteer. Heck I know no, they're always wouldn't. starving for volunteers, yeah, right? You know, I know we wouldn't, um, but um, you know, if you're in Nashville or, or in middle Tennessee, reach out to us, look us up call me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. And um, the only thing that I try to keep people to, to remember is, you know, we've got to look out for our, our brothers and sisters mm -hmm. and out there in the world. And, and we've got to do a better job of taking care of each other. Um, so that's just the main thing that I try to get across is, you know, you got to give a crap about your fellow yeah human beings and yeah. you gotta you gotta do something about it you cannot turn a blind eye thank you guys so much for the work that you're doing and thank you for joining us we really do appreciate it and i wish you the best of luck in you know all that you do and getting your nonprofit growing and growing there's such a need and so i i just commend you for the work that you're doing it was nice to meet you nice to meet you truman i've met jason in the past but um but again thank you guys so much thank you to our listeners and everyone just stay safe <laughs>